Alrighty, everyone. Welcome back to another Basin Breakdown. We got myself, Tavis, here. This is Cy. And we'll be going over some of the happenings of March of 2020. You know, in March, we had the benefit of looking back into February, and that was a whole lot of fun. But now that we've reached April, we're going to have to dig through some of the dirty news in March. Yeah, it's looking about the same, but... This, this time, it's not going to be fun to look back. No, not at all. Uh, we'll try to keep it interesting. We've tried to pull articles, uh, things that talk about more than just coronavirus decreased demand, because you've heard us harp on that. You've read our articles speaking about that. So this should be basin-specific news and something that you can enjoy. I don't know. We'll see when I get yeah. this out. And just a tad bit positive, too, you know? Well, we'll try. Positivity. That's what keeps me going right now. Yes, sir. But contrasting positivity... First thing we've got is the Baker Hughes rig count. So as of the 9th of April, the rig count was at 602 in the United States, which is down 62 rigs from just the 3rd of April. So in six days, lost 62 rigs. Compared to this time last year, we are down 420 rigs. Yeah, looking at, you know, looking at over into our, into the Bakken um, shale itself uh we're looking at a similar downturn that we saw back in 2015 when you know they started off with a 185 drilling rigs and it went down to approximately 27 so right now this this time around they're starting off at 56 drilling rigs so we're gonna we're expecting to, to see a similar drop um and a similar you know change happening we're gonna see how that pans out also Back in 2015, when we saw a downturn coming in, the Bakken, uh, you know, reported about 185 drilling rigs, and all of those drilling rigs went down to approximately 27. This time around, we're starting off at 56 drilling rigs, and we are expecting to see a significant uh, similar drop as we saw about last time. You know, this is pretty similar to, again, 2014-15, you know, where as cash flows are dropping 50 to 60%, and... Operators just having a tough time to keep going at the rate that then that they've been uh, going at. One of the other things to kind of notice um, that kind of gives you the offset is the drill, the duck inventory, which are the drilled, um, drilled but uncompleted wells. That that inventory itself has increased and surpassed the thousand mark up in North Dakota alone. And on the other side of things, you have inactive wells that are also increased up to two thousand six hundred. So that's a lot of inventory that is just sitting there with no cash flow and no time to actually invest and get her done. And also it looks like the rest of the year in the Bakken is going to run out. Okay. But outside of the Bakken, even a lot of people don't have a ton of hedging power past the end of this year. Right now, most people are partially hedged at about 50 to $55 barrels up until December, but those values will plummet by the time we reach 2021. So getting through the year, getting rid of this, Terrible disagreement between Saudi Arabia and what's expanded to the rest of the world is going to be the first big step in making a price environment that we can survive in, especially once these once these hedges run out. Outside of that, one of our favorite reoccurring segments, stock. Chesapeake Energy. What could you buy with one Chesapeake stock today? Let's see, it's at about 17.7 cents. What are you going to the grocery store for? If you can go to the grocery store, I don't know if you brought your face mask. You know, I needed some, you know, I needed some, uh, some, vitamins you know because i've been indoors a lot and i was thinking you know i got to cast the sunlight somehow and you know get up all my vitamins but with 17 cents heck i don't even think that's one gummy bear out of those flintstone gummies oh no i mean you can sit outside and get toasted by the sun which was what i did yesterday and now i'm chock full of vitamin d (laughs) see yeah i I would rather take my vitamin d in a gummy form than getting burnt oh yeah Yeah. i don't and then hey back on the mask thing i'm not going to the grocery store wearing a mask that's the reason why i've been trying to grow out my beard 
So I'm you hoping, can catch everything in the beard. Yeah, I'm hoping that this gnarly stash can, you know, combat COVID. It might come down a little bit. It might reach the front of the mouth. That's there's hoping. But back to Chesapeake. Chesapeake Energy, you know, finally realizing that they're uh, not really doing a good job of running the company, have tapped in some restructuring advisors. They're hoping that they can restructure the um, the unfortunate uh, series of events that have caused that company to be down to seventeen cents. Um, I would some might say this, you know, might be a little tad bit late to get in some advisors to help them change and you know turn around the outcome of that company itself. But hey, if if they think it might do something, then we'll let them have at it, and we'll keep reporting it as to how that works out. Yeah, and let's hope it does something because I think they only have probably two or three more months if they don't give their stock, if they don't get the stock above a dollar, they will be delisted from the New York Stock Exchange. Yeah, and you know, there hopefully you know that's possibly why you know those advisors are going to come into play and you know they can show them something around and possibly you know free up some capital to um or heck even cut down on their debt to you know help them keep moving for another year but let's see how far that they can chug along on the other side of things um Hess midstream in north dakota itself has called out for uh budget cuts and they are bracing for lower pipeline volumes which in everything that is uh going on and how the cars have kind of felt uh, it makes sense. You know, we are going to be looking at lower production volumes, you know, less crude being moved through those pipelines. So it makes sense that they are cutting down their budgets and they're accounting for those uh, volume drops. Um, mainly because on the other side of things, the drillers, you know, the op- uh, operators have also reported, you know, cutting down their drilling activity and everything else. Um, so for the mystery industry to kind of stay alive um, and the fact that their debt is, you know, is going to be maturing and later on 2020 and um, early 2021, I think it makes sense that they're doing their following suit and cutting down their budgets and anticipating the um, lower production volumes. And although this news doesn't sound incredible right off the get-go, they do expect between 420 and $440 million of net income by the end of the year, which is only a 4% reduction from last year. I don't know if those estimates are as conservative as they should be, granted that this article was published back in March, so we'll see how that changes as we progress forward. But I think that about ties things up in North Dakota. Yes, sir, it does. Let's move her on over to California. So the oil industry in California is probably feeling some of this, these effects probably the hardest, not because they were one of the first to be shut down in terms of state home ordinances, but because as soon as these coronavirus fears do pass and we make amends with Saudi Arabia and Russia, OPEC plus everybody, California still has to operate Within California, you know, those operators there, they're dealing with legislation that is going to halt oil and gas production. They're dealing with Gavin Newsom, who's putting a moratorium on high pressure steam injection wells. Good old Gavin Newsom. Yeah, we, you know how we feel about him. But that industry is that's probably one of the most challenging environments in 2021 once we get back to business uh, full force, full swing. So hopefully California does well, but. I see that being one of the places, uh, one of the states where the oil and gas industry leaves. And who knows how long that'll last before they realize how much money is actually brought in from that wonderful natural resource. Yeah. I don't know if the coronavirus is um, having worse of an impact on the oil and gas industry in California or the current administration. Looking out on the other side of things, plain all-American pipeline company has to pay $60 million for a 2015 California oil leak. This uh, pipeline leak, again, uh, in 2015, has made the pipeline company be liable for the violations that were in place, um, and that allowed for a leak of 2,934 bills of crude oil that ruined Southern California's beaches in Santa Barbara County. 
and I don't mean to try to diminish what it was, but just under 3,000 barrels doesn't sound like too big of a leak. And so I think, I don't know how it was remedied. I should probably look into that. But yeah, I want to $60 see... million dollars seems pretty hefty for what was spilled. Yeah, $60 million for cleaning, Um, yeah, for the cleaning and, you know, you know, for the revival of um the sand that was lost probably on the beach. Probably um, the revival natural species. It's well, there's species beach. that do live there. There's plants. I'm sure, and I mean, it's California too, so they probably stuck them pretty heavy due to the legislation that already exists. Yeah, sixty million is steep, though. We gotta see. Uh, I mean, I don't have sixty million. I couldn't find I that sure clean up. Know, yeah. <laughs> Looking on over at Oklahoma and Scoopstack Play, uh, we're getting reports that the current gas prices in the state are at a record low. Um, some prices have been reported to be ninety-seven cents per gallon in several places around the state. Woo-hoo. Yeah, now that's worrisome. It is good for for all the people that are still out and about driving in this pandemic, but. That hit on oil prices is devastating for Oklahoma itself because one third of that state's GDP hinges on the oil and gas industry. Now, 97 barrels, 97 cents per gallon on the forefront as the end product for the consumers seems like a great thing when, you know, when you're thinking about yourself as just, you know, we the people and, you know, one of the, you know, one of the guys just out and about. But that that, that doesn't bode well if you look at the chain of events that's causing it to be that low. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that benefit of having such cheap gas I mean, I would wager when compared to the deficit of people losing their jobs, especially in a state such as this, where a lot of people are involved in the industry, I would say that far outweighs a couple yeah. of bucks saved on cheap gas. So. Seriously, yeah. And if I was, you know, if I was still in high school or, you know, even younger and, you know, just getting to drive around for the first time, this would be the best thing I've oh, ever heard. Because summer's coming right around the corner. Gas is this cheap. That means you get to be out all day. You're out on the lake or you get to be out with your buddies. But just for a couple bucks. Yeah, heck, now you know, now understanding the overall impact of um of this of this price change, it's uh Indeed. it's kind of worrisome to even have fun. Yeah, also being soon to be graduates. Let's <laughs> not even open up that can of worms. <laughs> Let's not even go down that road. Yeah, it's foreboding for sure. And also, like I mentioned, Oklahoma jobless claims have skyrocketed. Oklahomans who filed 17,720 initial claims for unemployment benefits last week shattered a nearly 30-year-old record. This, of course, was in early March, and there was a really cool infographic I could see where it was the Department of Labor, all data from 1965 up until present day, and they record the initial amount of unemployment claims in any given week. And so it starts out, the graph is created over time, but by the time it hits 2020, it spikes and absolutely dwarfs because I believe that initial claim was about 3.4 million. So this effect from the virus is, oh man, it's going to throw a lot of businesses under. Small businesses, households trying to put food on the table. We need to come up with a way better solution than just trying to put a hold on yeah. everything. Yeah, I know this, this, the economic impacts of this um, pandemic have, have, and single-handedly ruined the economic growth in the last 10 to 20 years that the United States has been able to make. Now, if you think about that, that's, that's pretty tough. That's a pretty tough thing to do. We're not panicking either. Yeah. I'm just kind of taking it day by day and I hop on Instagram and all I see is posts about people yelling at me for riding my bike outside. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And this is, you know, this, this economic growth, you know, this, we're ruining everything that the great nation has been able to accomplish even with eight years of Obama in office. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't think that's where you're going with that one, but we're gonna keep it in there. Give something for the people to latch on to. But I. That's Oklahoma's been pretty quiet otherwise. I mean, like yeah. you said, most of this news has been dominated. Yeah, looking on forward. over to Colorado, 
the DJ Basin has been severely impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. And I feel like at this point, we keep repeating ourselves as we go per Basin because this pandemic has taken a toll on all over the oil and gas industry, regardless of the Basin state or the country itself. Top three producers in our great state have, have reported significant drops within their uh, stock values. Looking at Occidental Petroleum, that recently became the top producer in this state after purchasing Anadarka Petroleum, saw a stock drop 52%. Noble Energy, the number two producer in the state, saw a stock drop 29.8%. And then PDC Energy stock fell about 48.2%. So this coronavirus is not working out well for anybody in this state. On the other side of things, Crestone Peak, another one of the larger producers of our state, has started making a play for increasing their land and their resources in Colorado. We're looking at reports that ConocoPhillips has agreed to sell nearly $400 million worth of their Colorado assets to Crestone Peak. Now, something about Crestone Peak is that they do not normally operate where where the big um, typical oil boom you're seeing in the state. A lot of the operators are invested in Well County. Crestone Peak is heavily invested in the nearby areas, Adams and Arapahoe County, uh, Broomfield, Lafayette, Erie, Frederick, and, you know, areas north, just these kind of the suburban areas that are north of Denver, but they, they do not have a significant presence in Wild County because, um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of weird with those guys. I, I don't know exactly what their reasoning is behind it, but if you look at the numbers, you know, Wild County produces about 2 billion cubic feet per day of gas and nearly 600,000 barrels per day of crude, whereas Anything being produced in Adams and Arapahoe counties accounts for a combined, you know, production of 31 million cubic feet per day. And I'm going to chalk that up to Well County being more well-established, lots of people operating there, and a lot of the legislation around these other counties severely limits what can go down in terms of just oil and gas law. I yeah. mean, even the city Broomfield is currently thinking about a 2,000-foot drilling setback from homes and schools, which is something that's been popularized by... Colorado Rising and Boulder. Yeah. And, you know, these are the, the cities that we just listed off, you know, and within the Adams and Arapahoe counties, um, a lot of these cities are for oil and gas, uh, but all of them have followed suit just like Boulder County and have put in a uh, drilling moratorium in place to essentially, you know, after the Senate 181 bill was passed to give them more time to think of how they're going to change their uh, drilling, th their laws for, you know, the exploration of oil and gas and, you know this, and as of right now, they they don't these these cities have yet to put in place what they're going to be following for the future. So, you know, hopefully this works out well for Crestone Peak. But this does tell us that Crestone Peak has essentially tripled their size by making a play for ConocoPhillips Colorado assets. Yeah, so it's going to be tough coming to agreement with legislation in those counties and trying to operate and trying to respect people's boundaries. You know what would have made that more difficult? Politics. Politics and especially yeah. Bernie Sanders. Senator Bernie Sanders is out here, you know, not being able to recognize what well, his first no longer name out is. Here. Well, yeah, <laughs> you know, the, you know, this guy's, you know, he's about what 76, 78. You know, he doesn't know, you know, his left hand from right, but he's out here, you know, proponing for a lot of great changes. And we'll just tell you how great those changes are going to be. Senator Bernie Sanders has called for an immediate ban on fracking and the end of drilling on federal lands as a way to combat global climate change. What? good old Bernie Sanders does not does fail to recognize is the economic blow that can have on Colorado's economy itself and this great nations. If you look at the numbers that Bernie Sanders is proposing, the United States could lose 7.5 million of the 10.9 million jobs that the oil and gas industry now supports. That figure alone 
would allow for a reduction in GDP of $1.2 trillion by 2022. Now, not accounting for the possible recession that's oncoming by this coronavirus pandemic, that alone of the reduction of GDP of $1.2 trillion by by ban on fracking by itself would trigger a recession. Now, what Bernie Sanders is having, you know, in his old days, is he's having trouble understanding is that about 95% of the wells that are drilled in the United States rely on hydraulic fracturing. Hydraulic fracturing, which injects water, sand, chemical lubricants under high pressure to fracture rock and release more petroleum, is a process that is required for us to obtain more gas out of these wells and also increase our production. You cannot be a fan of the oil and gas industry, and you would want to see a limitation on fossil fuel and the use of fossil fuels and this industry as a whole, but you cannot be a proponent for change and be worried about climate change and not recognize that you need gas to eventually roll into renewable energy. We need gas as a way, as a transition between fossil fuels that we're using today and renewable energy that we want to be using in the future. You put a ban on fracking, you can't get that gas out of the ground, Bernie. Yeah, exactly. And I believe it's the EIA that projects, well, predicts that Natural gas will be 40% of our energy generation and will be responsible for 40% of our energy generation by 2050. And if we lose that 40%, I don't know where that energy is going to come from. It's going to be what other countries in the form of fossil fuels anyways, going to decrease our energy independence. And and how are we going to help out people that are relying on these jobs? The oil and gas industry itself is, it's, you know, it's known that you kind of have above average wages. You know, although it's not known that the hard work that goes into earning these above average wages. But looking at some of the studies that we've seen, it estimates that household incomes nationally would decline by an average of $5,000 a year. That's about 4.3%. And consumers would spend $618 more per year on energy costs. And that's not just oil and gas. That's everybody, yeah, right? That is not just oil and gas. So that's a, that's a full-on impact. See, maybe in this bubble of world that they live in up in Vermont, where good old Bernie Sanders you know, is from, they probably don't see this chain of events, you know, happening in other normal states. But maybe you should take a look at the numbers before we start going around, you know, rallying people up to put a ban on fracking, which could single-handedly destroy where the future is headed. Which everybody agrees, we got to make a play for renewable energy. But heck, you need gas to eventually get there. You need that diverse portfolio, and it's yeah. tough that a lot of these people don't recognize. You know, Sanders comes in, Warren says it, comes in, and they say we want to ban fracking. And of course, it's people our age who go, oh, wow, that's fracking. I mean, the word itself, yeah. even spelled with a K, sounds terrible. Yeah, talk about some Russian little, you know, manipulation there. Yeah, that too. Well, I mean, wow, we could talk about that for days. But it's it's easy to go, well, this is bad. We shouldn't do it. And I think that's the big identity politics play. Yeah. And that's how these candidates are making it this far. Exactly. And it's, it's not a, you know, it's not a switch, you know, you know, right now we're not switched up to fossil fuels and we just switch her down and, you know, go on over renewable energy. Hey, if that was the case, everybody would be on board and this would be a perfect little world. And th- that's just not how it works, man. And oh. these guys, you know, you're seeing it happen with these, with these candidates that are just going up and they're trying to, you know, rile up, rile up emotion rather than, rather than reasoning behind their voters. Yeah, it's. It's definitely not ideal, but we could talk about politics on day all day. I think we should push it towards Wyoming. I gotta say, good things happening in Wyoming. That first thing, good for operators, Wyoming Oil and Gas Conservation Commission announced earlier last month that they would not require producers to pay the state conservation tax for the next six months due to the depressed market conditions from the virus and the price war. So big win for the operators there, but also 
potential win for the state. It looks like Wyoming is looking to buy millions of acres of mineral rights in both Colorado and Utah. Yeah, a lot of um, a lot of law and a lot of a uh, research has to go further into this before the state is allowed to purchase another state, essentially. But <laughs> what they're hoping to do is to buy at least four million acres of mineral rights and one million um, one million surface acres along Interstate 80 across southern Wyoming and into northern Utah. And that land, like we were talking about earlier, belongs to the debt burden Occidental Petroleum that recently acquired it in the purchase of Anadarka Petroleum. Now the goal here is to essentially find a a productive, you know, future for the state of Wyoming itself by acquiring mineral rights and surface rights where they can essentially, you know, where they can use that land to, you know, sell off the minerals itself, the mineral rights itself, or have it for recreation or, you know, use it for or another type of assets for the state of Wyoming. So another interesting fact is if all of this does go into effect. This would be the largest government land acquisition since 1867 when the United States paid $7.2 million to buy Alaska from Russia. That, that's crazy. It makes, me, it makes me wonder. Is Colorado, is uh, Utah, are they taking these offers seriously? Why not keep the land for themselves? It's not even, you know, it's, it's not even about if they take it seriously or not. If it's legal to do and whoever's are they responsible. Are strapped for cash, though? Wyoming? Well, no. I, I think not this Wyoming. Is, the yeah. people selling. They, so the land itself belongs to... Occidental Petroleum, and we know a little about them, you know, with their stock dropping currently and the amount of debt that they have after paying 300 and what was it, 60 million to, um, acquire to, Anadarko. Yeah. And I, I think I said million. That's not right. But yeah, after, you know, Occidental acquired Anadarko, they're, they are definitely in a position to, you know, free up some cash flow. But it's, it's interesting to see as to how that would, um, how that would go into effect. Cause again, we're talking about the purchase of surface and mineral rights within Utah by another state. I think that that sentence alone has probably never been said by another person. Like, it's it a little hairy. Yeah, like legally there. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of legal, you know, complex legal issues that are at play. And well, hey, the the one thing these states, you know, love doing is involving lawyers and other political situations. So I think they can figure it out. But it'd be very interesting to see how this pans out. And if if the cowboy state, you know, own minerals in another state. Could they actually assert sovereign immunity over those minerals as if they were in Wyoming? I think uh, I think that's something we'll have to look at a little bit further down the road. Yeah, that be see that that's something to think about, and I, I'm just I'm kind of excited to see how this pans out. Kind of build a little Wyoming within Utah. <laughs> and more good news for those people in Wyoming, those cowboys, good cowboys out there. We got two firms actually helping amidst the coronavirus. And now this is not bad news. This is not, well, I mean, it's linked to bad news. Yeah, this is the little positive that we were talking about in this whole situation of, you know, the pandemic. Exactly. There's people helping people out. Casper-based Mesa Natural Gas Solutions contributed natural gas generators and Crusoe Energy Systems provided computing modules to help power research launched by Stanford University. Yeah, so they're letting, you know, scientists have tapped into the uh, Crusoe's computational systems that are powered by Mesa's Mesa's natural gas generators to continue researching the virus remotely and conduct these simulation projects, which essentially, you know, at the end goal is to be able to find a cure and, you know, be able to continue, you know, do research that can help out other scientists and doctors that are currently fighting this pandemic and be able to move on to ending this virus all in all. Um, so, hey, there's props to those two energy companies, uh, Crusoe and Mesa, for allowing the research to continue and by providing 
tools that the scientists and doctors can use in their fight against this pandemic. Yeah, that's good on them, but that was a good recap of Wyoming. I don't know if anything else is going to look that nice, but really, great job, Wyoming. Know. Looks like you're <laughs> yeah, that, butt. Yeah, that was a peak, and we're about to come right back down. Taking a look on over at Texas, um, we'll start off by talking about Schlumberger in the Eagleford Basin. Uh, Schlumberger's uh, company spokesperson has said that its North American business will accelerate a restructuring that includes job cuts and furloughs over the next couple of months. So essentially, executives will be taking a voluntary 20% base salary reduction starting um, in April, and worldwide support personnel will adopt unspecified modified schedules that reduce salaries. So what this essentially means is that salaried employees will be taking a 20% reduction from within their salaries and hourly employees will be taking a 20% um, reduction in their hours to allow for Schlumberger to uh, uphold their goal of cutting their capital spending by 30% from its 2019 level, um, you know, as it looks to uh, reduce staff and compensation in response to the COVID-19 uh, pandemic and its impact across the industry. I think, uh, I think one of the, I think this is one of the better plans that a service uh, company can put forth within this industry and with everything that is currently going on, because with a lot of people that are, you know, that are relying on having their job, you know, regardless of how much it might be, how much money might be bringing them home. Um, I think this is great that service companies are making uh, kind of a deal as to where, you know, allowing workers to continue working a little bit less hours, but still keep their jobs. So they're not, you know, so they're not single-handedly increasing to, or impacting the increase in unemployment across the United States, you know, whereas on the other side of things, we're looking at service companies like Halliburton that are just taking, resending offers and, you know, just laying people off that are all having to go on unemployment. And that just, that altogether is just not going to help the overall economy and, you know, not just the oil and gas industry. Yeah. In terms of industry as a whole, Schellenberger is handling this a whole lot better than say Whiting. <laughs> yeah. Oops. Yeah, Whiting, uh, hey, you dropped the ball on that one. That was that was something we we're gonna save up for, for next month, but yeah. We'll probably we can, get into it a little bit more. Make sure you're subscribed. Please do, because we, we you know, we're we're great guys. We love talking. We're great guys, let me tell you. And also there's a bunch of other great guys who work here at Rare Petro that publish some great articles. So make sure you're on rarepetro.com subscribing to those feeds. Yes, sir. Keeping it in the Eagleford, Lone Star signs new agreement for longer laterals. They're going to work with another two unspecified companies, and throughout the agreement, they will operate a minimum of three to four Eagleford shale wells annually on behalf of the two companies through 2022 that are intended to hold by production approximately 6,000 gross acres with the AMI. The agreement gives Lone Star's partner the option to participate in each well with a 50% working interest or to participate via carried working interest that ranges from approximately 9% to 17% ranging between locations so good for them options there but again this news came back from march who knows how that agreement has changed and who knows what contracts were signed since then keeping it within texas but just on another part we've got the permian basin and so far again chevron along with other people are looking to hit the brakes on the permian and chevron cuts eight billion dollars across the company to address the new landscape, Chevron announced on Tuesday, the 24th of March, so pretty recently, that it has reduced its capital outlay from $20 billion to $16 billion. About $2 billion from the cuts will come from the company's unconventional programs in Argentina and other projects also within the U.S. 
But a company release said that the reductions will primarily affect the Permian, where it holds about 2.2 million acres. Chevron said its new Permian production target is about 125,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day, down 20% from the original expectation. In 2018, Chevron said it produced 159,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day, and overall the company's total production is expected to remain flat over this year. At least $1.2 billion in reductions will spread across Chevron's other upstream business units in the U.S. and across the world. Another $800 million will be trimmed from the downstream and chemical business. So this is the first of cuts, and I would not be surprised if this wasn't the last of cuts. But for Texas as a state, I think that about wraps everything up. Looking at things over in Pennsylvania, the Marcellus Shale seems to be responding a lot better due to this coronavirus pandemic than a lot of the other places. One good thing that we have happening there and the current leader is Cabot Oil and Gas, which saw a 9.7% increase in their share, closing with at, closing at a uh, $16.37 price. Cabot, although it is based in Houston, um, it operates in northeastern Pennsylvania and within the Marcellus Shale. But that wasn't the only local shale company that saw increase within a stock as the whole COVID-19 pandemic was taking place. Range Resources Corporation, one of the largest producers of natural gas in Pennsylvania, saw its shares rise 3.5%. Southwestern Energy also rose to it rose an additional 4%. Uh, CNX Resources is up an additional 1.1%. And EQT Corporation, which had been up 7% during trading on Friday, closed just under 1% of that. And they're still at $6.39 a share. For all of you out there that are wondering as to why the Marcellus Shale seems to be doing a lot better due to this, uh, within this uh, pandemic and while all the other basins seem to be suffering all across the country and the nation, it's because the strong growth of the Permian Basin in the United States has been the predominant reason as to why Marcellus and Utica, one of the global centers of natural gas production, have seen hard times. Natural gas down south is a byproduct of oil production and sold for low prices there with an increase of supply, but a cut to oil and natural gas production there essentially leveled the, you know, in a way, leveled the supply and demand curves to allow for the Marcellus and Utica shale to see an increase within, you know, their their prices and their stocks because now they're, they are single-handedly providing the natural gas that is needed to, for equilibrium, essentially. All right, and I'm going to try to set the stage a little bit for this next one. So back in 2017... There was a resident who got lawyered up and went and sued Cabot Oil and Gas Corp. And his initial claims were that the company, through malpractice, had contaminated a water well. And then from there, he went around to neighboring residents who were close to operations that Cabot had and, and got them to rally up against the company as they all brought legal countermeasures to the water contamination to try and sue Cabot. So, Cabot actually sued this guy back and his former lawyers in 2017, claiming that they tried to extort the company through frivolous litigation. They also claimed that Kimball violated a 2012 settlement agreement by repeatedly spouting lies about the company in public. So they're trying to save face, trying to get some PR damage back in this money. We will see on the other side of Pennsylvania, a fight over fracking at a steel mill is forcing a reckoning among Democrats. You know, something we thought would never happen, but apparently here it is. The problem that we're seeing here is that the state official, the state Democratic officials uh, do not want to vote on a ban on uh, ban on fracking because 
what essentially this uh, what essentially fracking is allowing the state to do is 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 causing the U.S. steel industry that is also a major player uh, out of Pennsylvania to exist. Now, with the way the market is currently going and the and the external pressures that are already on the steel industry, one of the solutions that these guys came up with was to allow oil and gas activity to happen off of their uh, surface to essentially allow for gas production through fracking that they can use to further limit their cost, um, you know, from actual energy use to uh, to also the profit they would earn by letting another company uh, drill and produce gas out of their land. Now, the problem that comes on to is, is a bigger problem that's, that's happening is that Pennsylvania is always a is a major state um, when it comes to the primaries and you know they they play a major factor um, around election times. Now, if everybody is a now if everybody's you know going through their uh, ban on fracking propaganda, you know that's that is going to be an obvious and clear victory for the Republicans in that state. And now on the other side of things, if you're looking at politics, a lot of people don't want that to happen. Also, just based off the fact that they have a ban on fracking. So the problem again that you see is that state politicians are trying to counter the general public's belief of fracking and how it can actually be helpful and useful. Like, you know, me and Tavis have been talking about this whole podcast and, you know, the previous podcast, but what they're trying to see is how they can convince the public of that. Yet their actual, yet, you know, the DNC is full on wholeheartedly, you know, ban on fracking yet the state Democrat politicians want to don't want that to be the case. But a lot of people don't have that belief in these, in these politicians anymore, because how can they, you know, how can they, not propose a ban on fracking while all of this is happening in their backyard. Yet, I think what the goal here is for these politicians is that they want to show the public that the ban on fracking would be much worse, much adverse for their state and for the general public than, you know, than taking a stand and being uh, one family with, you know, all the rest of the DNC. Yeah, definitely a hairy situation there, but I think that wraps it up for this month's Basin Breakdown. All right. That wasn't as bad as, you know, I, I thought it would be when when I was starting off. No, things could be worse. Yeah. You know, there's a few chipper moments in there. Yeah, a few chipper moments coming up this week. Yeah. I mean, I got to, actually, I got to get back home and attend to a roast a little bit. I got one in the crock pot making a pre-Easter dinner and re in the roomies are going to feast. I got to keep working on the chipping game, dude. Chipping game. You've been, <laughs> I see you in the hallways. You've been looking yeah. better. Yeah, for all the people that, that, that aren't aware of our Rare Petra facilities, uh, but we have a really, really sweet corridor right outside <laughs> of our office that I've turned into a little piece of green. And uh, yeah, every day the goal is, you know, chip like tiger. And you're damn close, but... Yeah, that's, hey, see, that's the faith I need. Yeah, that wraps it up for this podcast, and we will see you all later. All right. Thank you guys for listening. This is Sign Tavis, logging off.